you have all the stories that you need to tell inside you already. And it's a matter of giving yourself permission to let them out and using some simple tools to make sure that they come out in a way that's going to be impactful. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Egnall, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. I absolutely love a great story, and I'm not the only one. And I think uh, J.K. Rowling expressed why stories are so powerful. She said, and I quote, there's always room for a story that can transport people to another place. Today, more than ever, I really believe that people are looking for those stories, not just at the bookstore, not just in the movie theater, but from their leaders. And that's why a couple years ago, the Humphrey Group embarked on the journey to help leaders tell better stories, stories that were personal, authentic, and ultimately inspirational. And the person who helped us create that program is my guest on the podcast today, Margot Gooley. Margot is a Senior Associate and Director of Program Development at the Humphrey Group. That's a fancy way of saying she brings people within our company together to create offerings that help people build their leadership communication skills. She's got a PhD and an MA in English from York University. And before she joined the company, she was a professor of English literature. I always love talking with Margot. She sits right next to me in our Toronto office. And you'll hear from our conversation today about storytelling, why she is so good at what she does. We discuss why storytelling is so tough to do well, why every story should have a spine, and what really separates a good story from a great one. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Margo. So Margo, uh, I'd like to welcome you to the Inspire podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I know. Uh, I'll tell you, when I, when I set out to create the Inspire podcast, you know, you start off with this uh, place where you're thinking, you know, who do I want to interview? <laughs> you know, what topic should we tackle? And and you uh, were high on the list on both of those lists because uh, not only do I have the privilege of working with you uh, day in and day out and seeing the kind of programs that you design for our clients that really transform how they go about leading, but you've also been uh, a real uh, champion of the idea that storytelling has become a fundamental skill for leaders. And so I thought, as I was playing the Inspire podcast, we have to get you on. So great to have you here. It's great to be here. I am passionate about storytelling as a leadership communication tool. And, and I have seen the impact in the programs that we lead with our clients. So it's great mm -hmm. to be here to talk about that. Definitely. I know we'll, we'll tackle you know, why storytelling matters for leaders um, and how, the, how people who are listening can strengthen their ability to tell stories. But first, let's start with the ivory tower. And you know, for, pe for people who may not have know you, who may not have worked with you, um, you're one of, our, one of our PhDs. I say one of our PhDs. Uh, but you've, you had a, an interesting journey to the corporate world, to leadership development. So 
take us through that from what, um, what you were doing in academia and what led you to the Humphrey Group? Sure. My story is one in which luck played a central role, I believe, but it all comes together when you look at it in retrospect. So my story begins in the ivory tower, as you said, <laughs> um, fresh out of my PhD in 2013. I wasn't thrilled with the idea of starting a teaching career. And I knew that I loved teaching, that I was a teacher, but I was really interested in doing work that would be more directly applicable to people's lives. Um, and I started looking at different forms of consulting. You're a PhD, people tell you you can be a consultant. It's the blanket <laughs> advice that everybody gets. And I looked into a couple of different ways of doing that work at many different companies, and it wasn't until I found the Humphrey Group that I thought, that's a job that I could do, that I would love, that would allow me to continue to teach and be what I feel I am and use the skills I've cultivated, uh, but apply them in a, in a new way. And so the leap from the ivory tower to the Humphrey Group was a big one. Uh, but I do feel that some of the skills that I really honed as an academic are still skills that I use every single day. Um, listening, teaching, storytelling, making ideas come to life for people through examples, and helping people lead through their communication. I think that's what it means to be a teacher, and it's certainly what we do at the Humphrey Group. As you settle into the role, Last year, I know, you came forward and you said, things I have been hearing, things I have been observing in, our, in work with our clients has led me to the conclusion that storytelling is becoming, uh, if not a core competency, at least something that people were increasingly aware that was essential to their success. What led you to that conclusion? Well, storytelling has certainly become a word you hear and read everywhere you look when you read or talk about leadership communication. And I heard our clients talking about it in two different ways. I heard people using the word storytelling to mean creating an effective argument. So people talk about the story of a slide deck, for example. What is the story you're trying to tell? And that, in my mind, is something similar to what we teach when we teach the leader script. How do you create an effective argument that has a clear beginning, middle, and an end, and a very strong message? But I heard people at the same time talking about the more personal kind of storytelling that we think of when we think of the word story. Anecdotes, personal examples, sharing your experience to make a concept real for people. And the way that our clients wanted to hold these two things together was at first confusing to me. I would say to them, are you talking about an argument or are you talking about telling personal stories? And they would usually say, well, both. You know, stories need to have a message and that's what really drives a story home for people. And I started to realize that people were hungry to learn how to tell impactful stories that do have a strong message, that can prove a point, and that can help make complicated ideas clear. And that's, you know, as someone who's been in this business for 17 years, who's worked with executives and managing you know, thousands, I would say that that is relatively new in my experience. You know, I, I recall, you know, first, certainly in the first decade of my time, that it really was all about the message. You know, what did we want to say? What are the arguments we want to make? What maybe where the slides we're going to use? So what do you think, if anything, accounts for this emerging desire to have these more personal, authentic 
modes of reaching people? Well, I believe one factor is the changing nature of leadership as organizations become flatter and there's less entrenched hierarchy, even when there is an entrenched hierarchy that remains, expectations of leaders are changing. In addition to providing direction and authority and, well, leadership, we also expect to know those people as people, which is something that was not true as even 10 years ago, certainly not 20 years ago or 30 years ago. So this generation of workers wants to know their leaders. Leaders realize that part of employee engagement is showing themselves and creating that connection between people at all levels of the organization. And storytelling is a great way to do that, to share something about yourself that's a little more personal. Well, and even hearing you describe what kinds of stories, when you, when you say people want to know their leaders, they want to share things. I think back to when I used to be a speechwriter, you know, and really the Humphrey Group was you know, a C-level firm focused on, only on C-level executives helping them prepare for speeches at the podium when it was started. And when I joined, I, I learned to write speeches. And I remember we had these books of anecdotes, which were stories, <laughs> but they had not, you know, you would go through and say, okay, this is a speech about... Uh, you know, challenges. And you'd look up the chapter on challenge stories <laughs> and you'd find a, a joke. Or, and so they're totally antithetical to what you're talking about. Where What you're really saying is that as people want to know their leaders and know those who they're listening to, those stories just don't cut it anymore. So it's, it's the ability to be personal now and show something of yourself that matters. Absolutely. And Sometimes this is a stumbling block for people in coaching or in storytelling programs that we're leading. They say, well, how can you teach storytelling? Or are you suggesting I should plan my stories? And isn't that like choosing them from a book of anecdotes or something? And it's certainly not the same. We can dig up our stories from inside ourselves. We can decide when the best time is to tell them. We can choose the audiences we share them with. And that planful approach it doesn't mean they're any less authentic. It doesn't mean they should be any less authentic. In fact, I would argue they have to be authentic to be impactful. So why is it, here we are, everyone wants to be able to tell stories, everyone wants to connect on this humanistic level. Why don't people then tell more stories? Or if they are telling stories, why are they not doing so as effectively as they might? I think there are two reasons people don't tell stories. I'll tackle that question first. People are afraid of sharing too much. I think there's a real hesitancy, even though we know the power of vulnerability, there's a, uh, it feels risky. It takes courage to be vulnerable. So I think there's, there's a hesitancy around that. And then people are worried that their stories won't have the impact um, that they intend. So I think those are the two main reasons people don't share stories. And to answer your second question, I believe the reason people think that is because they have seen stories told ineffectively. We've all heard the rambling storyteller who has no message or who shares too many stories at inappropriate moments um, or whose stories don't seem connected to the here and now or, or what we're talking about. And nobody wants to be that kind of storyteller. So the fear around that is part of the risk, I think. Um, so let's dive a little deeper into that second point you make about stories that people tell that don't work. 
in your experience, when you talk to clients, what are some of the big mistakes that people observe and say, oh, that did not go well when it comes to storytelling mm -hmm. that people listening to this podcast should avoid? Well, interestingly, I think one big mistake is when a story is not detailed or specific enough. So people are worried about being that rambling storyteller and often they overcorrect and they tell a story that cannot resonate because it is not specific enough. The details in stories are really what engage us and capture our attention. And that doesn't mean the story has to be long. So there's a big difference between saying, well, actually this reminds me of the time that we were at my cottage in Muskoka and we had planned a big family baseball tournament for our family reunion and it ended up raining and we couldn't play baseball, but we ended up staying inside playing games and it was actually better than what we had planned. That story doesn't have sufficient detail right. to and, really... And I'm sitting here waiting and saying, and so what? <laughs> right. So I've led you through the elements of what happened, but I haven't put any detail around it. How did it feel? What was it like to be in that situation? Margot, you've outlined you know these two reasons why people don't tell stories. Uh, they're afraid to be overly personable or they're not sure that they'll be able to do it effectively. So that's a good segue to why people come to our courses, uh, the storytelling course that you built and designed for us, which I know we're offering globally, and what we teach people to help them meet this challenge. Uh, you know, Because I often get the question from my clients, can you really teach someone to tell great stories? And I have to say, of course you can. Mm -hmm. So how do you do it? How do you tell a great story? Take us behind the curtain. The first part of great storytelling is to recognize that all stories have structure. The structure of a story is so important to the way that the story engages us because it allows us to anticipate and expect what's coming next or to worry about what might happen next. And we're so familiar with the structure that it actually creates that engagement. And all stories, whether it's your favorite Netflix show or the last novel that you read or the film that you just saw, actually share a very common structure that can be elaborated in any number of ways. And it's, it's actually very, very simple. An environment is set up. Think of that as the where and the who. There's someone in some place. Then something happens. There's an event. And you could think of that as the what. So there's a where and a who, and then there's a what. Something happens. Then something happens to raise the stakes. So there's a complication or there's a twist or a turn. And finally, there's a resolution. That structure is common to every story we've ever heard from our bedtime stories through to what we did on the weekend to the 500 page Dostoevsky novel that you had to read in your college literature mm -hmm. course. And the beauty of that simple structure is that there are any number of ways you can elaborate it to suit how much time you have, who your audience is, or what the context is for telling that story. And I know after I learned this structure, which I know we call the story spine, uh, I now see it everywhere. So for example, you know, I was watching Frozen with my <laughs> six-year-old, and you know, it sets the context, right? You've got the backstory, you've got Anna and Elsa. And there are, you know, she's about to be queen, but she has these powers. And then something happens. You know, there's 
there's the she runs away, she becomes you know the frozen queen, and Anna sets off in pursuit. And then you've got this heightening of tension as they meet, and Anna is struck by the you know the ice blast, <laughs> and you know and you think will she be able to uh, you know be saved? And then there's the resolution with the final conflict. So I, I start to see now this pattern in all movies that I watch and all books I read, it is universal. It's remarkable. And because it is a pattern, it, it keeps us engaged. Mm-hmm. So we want to know what happens next. We want to know what that twist or complication is going to be. And we are always anxious to know the resolution. Is mm-hmm. it going to be positive? Is it going to be negative? Is the hero going to learn something? We're almost, you could say, hardwired to be engaged by that kind of mm-hmm. pattern. So you've got this structure, and I and I, I think you know if I was, you know, say a, a vice president of finance, or I was a, you know, head of human resources, or I was a sales professional, I might say that's all well and good when Pixar or Disney <laughs> is sitting in the room and they have this team of writers and they're saying, oh, you know, let's create the next Frozen Part Two. Mm-hmm. But how do I, when I have to go and present the quarterly numbers, I have to go talk about our HR strategy? Or I have to go meet with a customer because they're not happy about a product. How do I incorporate that into those interactions? For leaders, the thing to remember is that your experiences are a wealth of stories for you to use in those kinds of interactions. And the people we're speaking to are actually more interested much of the time in one specific example than in information that might prove the rule that that example demonstrates or in any number of more generic examples. So okay, so let's let's take an example. Let's imagine let's take the salesperson, the third kind of fictitious character I'm creating. So this individual says, "Look, here's a situation, Margo. I sell high-tech medical devices." to primarily the hospitals and physicians. This recent device that we've rolled out, to put it bluntly, was not up to par. The previous device, which they had, and I convinced them to upgrade to, was much more reliable. And this one has new features, but it's not reliable. And in practicing medicine for diagnostic tools, you need reliability ahead of features. I have now received a litany of complaints from all of the hospitals I went to bat for to convince them to buy this product because my company told me it was a better product and now I've got to go with egg on my face to talk to them about either removing it or waiting for a fix or something but whatever I tell them they're not going to be happy. How do I incorporate storytelling into this very difficult interaction? The first step in preparing to use storytelling in an interaction like that would be to consider your audience. So in a conversation where you need to build rapport with somebody because your rapport has been damaged, like the kind of situation that you describe. Um, I always encourage people to think first about how their audience is feeling and then to ask, is there a story you can share that would show that you understand how your audience is feeling, that you've been in their shoes before Mm -hmm. um, or that you have under that you do understand how they feel and you've thought about how to make this situation better. Yeah, I mean, I would say in this situation, they feel somewhat betrayed. They feel lied to Mm -hmm. because I have a long relationship with them. I think of one doctor who I'll be meeting with who I've 
been his sales rep for over a decade, and he trusted me that this new machine, this new diagnostic tool, was an upgrade. And he paid money, and he went through training. Anyways, he now feels upset and betrayed by me. And frankly, I I feel I would feel the same way. <laughs> so that would be the feeling if I had to describe. So how would I then? Are you saying then I should look for a story that where I felt the same way? I think that would be one of two options. So you could look for a story where um, you've been in the same position as this doctor is in to show that you empathize. So in the second case, you could share um, you could share other client stories with this person. You could say, um, you're, you're not the only doctor who's feeling this way. I had a meeting yesterday um, at another hospital, uh, similar in size to this one, and I met with three officials there in, in administration, as well as a couple of doctors who are using this on the front line, and they shared very similar concerns. You know, and to make matters worse, um, they had actually had a couple of negative patient outcomes as a result of this technology. And I was devastated to hear that news. And the resolution that we're working towards with them is to, and then you could share the resolution that you're providing. And that kind of story is always going to be more effective than sharing data or statistics or even facts about what the next steps will be. Because what your audience needs in that moment is empathy. If you want to continue to build this relationship. They need to know that you understand what has gone wrong. And, I, and so I heard in there the, the spine. So I heard the context. You know, I've been meeting with other doctors. The problem, they reported similar things. It got worse. They had some negative patient outcomes and then the resolution. So I see even in that 30-second soundbite, you've used the spine to structure it. That's how simple it can be. It doesn't always have to be an elaborate character that's created or a long story, but that structure is going to engage the, the heart and the mind of your audience mm -hmm. in a different way than saying fact one, fact two, fact three, fact four, and so problem solved. And, and I think what your example shows there is that it does, as you said, it doesn't have to be elaborate. I, I know some of my clients have said to me, I don't have time to tell stories. I'm going for, it's a short meeting. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't want to listen to a three minute story. <laughs> and so what I'm hearing is that storytelling can be incorporated into bite sized chunks or it can be stretched out into a much longer uh, narrative. How do you decide as a leader what length of story is appropriate for what audience and what interaction? I always encourage people to think about what their audience needs most. So certainly if you're presenting the budget to the finance committee, uh, they want to know what's in the budget. <laughs> and they may not appreciate you spending 10 of your 30 minutes telling a very long story. That doesn't mean you can't use any storytelling at all, but it means that you'll want to condense your story appropriately to suit that audience. I'd love to hear another example from your work with with our clients, and you know, you can keep the keep the client anonymous, but if someone who made use of the spine to great effect, so that people listening can can see another example of how it works. Sure, I have a great recent example. Actually, I was working with someone, um, a finance professional, who was planning a presentation he had to give to the chief risk officer of his organization, and 
he actually was not very interested in storytelling as a concept because this presentation was five minutes long and he had the opportunity to meet with this leader once a quarter. So he said, five minutes once a quarter, Margot? No time for stories, sorry, but I'm going to get right down to business. And I said, you'll do in the moment what you want to do, but let's practice it. Let's experiment with this and you decide if you think this is something useful you want to use in the moment. And he was so skeptical that I really was not convinced that he would come up with anything. And he came up with uh, a wonderful story. His message for the presentation was that despite certain challenges in the market that they were facing short term, the best strategy would be to avoid reactivity and stick to the long term plan, that this is how they would be successful. And he knew this message was going to be controversial because the short-term challenges were significant. And this was the story that he told. He said, before I came to the bank, I don't know if you know this about me, but I was actually an urban planner. And so I'm still very interested in urban planning and design. And I was reading recently a history of the way that Toronto and Chicago developed their waterfronts. I know that you're from Chicago. It turned out the leader was from Chicago. And so you know what I'm talking about. Millennium Park, all the beautiful public art, the way that people use that public space along the waterfront. It's a feature of Chicago. In Toronto, we don't quite have the same thing. And the interesting point of this article I was reading was that Toronto and Chicago faced the same challenges throughout the early 20th century of population skyrocketing, transit issues that required infrastructure to be built, and also industrialization continuing and amping up and factories being built along the waterfront. Uh, but where Toronto chose to create the gardener, put up high-rise housing along the waterfront that limits its public use, and to line Lake Ontario with factories, urban planners in Chicago had a long-term vision for what they wanted that public land to be, and they stuck to it. And the result is Millennium Park in Chicago and the $80 million plan we have in Toronto to redevelop the Donlands. <laughs> and so I'm sharing this story because it really shows the power of vision and the consequences of not having a long-term vision and being reactive in the short term. And I'm here to you to, to talk about Project X. And I really believe by avoiding reactivity at this time, despite the challenges we're facing, this is how we'll be successful. Mm -hmm. Um, so he linked that story to his message uh, about what should be done with respect to this project in the moment. And it was impactful for a number of reasons. Because his leader is from Chicago, it was a very audience-centered story. Uh, because it was personal, it's actually true that he, he did have a, a previous career in urban planning. And because it was very relevant to the message that he was there to deliver, it was not a story disconnected from the topic. and. And it floored me because he said he didn't want to tell any story at all. And he ended up telling a very long story. But he said, all of that is true. I didn't just pull that out of my hat. It's true. I read that article. I was an urban planner. And maybe I'm going to tell that story when I have my five minutes. I love the example. And okay. you know, I, was, I was pulled in by the story as you were telling it, as though I was listening to you. And I love, you know, you think of a risk professional, so clinical. In, in how I'd conceptualize it, and yet that story is so personal. So, well, now, we've been talking about stories where you have time in advance to prepare. You think about what your point is, who your audience is, 
what story you can tell, you construct the narrative, and voila, you're inspirational. But a lot of times, you don't have the luxury of that preparation time. A lot of times, you find yourself in the moment. And I think we've all been in that situation where we've seen people who capitalize on those moments by seemingly plucking stories out of thin air. So what advice would you have to people on whether they can develop that ability to tell stories in the moment without prep? And if they can, what should they do to, uh, to build that skill? Well, the first thing I would say is that preparation doesn't have to mean that you sit down and write out your story in advance or that you use a story spine tool to plot out the structure of your story. Preparation can mean you spend a couple of minutes before a meeting reflecting on experiences you've had that are relevant to what that meeting is going to be about. It can mean you think about what you have in common with someone before you sit down for a one-on-one -on -one with them and share a story about an interest that you both share. And I suppose what I'm getting at is that we all have stories in us to tell. And when we're outside of professional contexts, we do this naturally. And so allowing some time to let those stories emerge in professional contexts can simply be a matter of a couple moments of reflection. That's the first thing I would say. I really do believe we all have stories in us to tell. And the next thing I would say is that we should feel confident that the story spine gives us all the structure we need in the moment to pull a story out when we hear something, when we hear an opportunity. This means we have to be listening very carefully and we have to be present and audience-centered in the moment so that we recognize, is this an opportunity for me to share an example or an anecdote that would help bring this idea to life that we're discussing? So using our listening skills in the moment and feeling confident that the spine will give us all the structure that we need is a way to empower ourselves to take advantage of those opportunities. In your work in the Humphrey Group, is there a moment over the last year or two where that happened for you, where you were out with a client, you were at a network, whatever, and lo and behold, the opportunity, you were aware of it, and then you, you in the moment, brought a story forward. Well, whenever I'm talking to a new client, uh, I always have my Humphrey Group pitch prepared. So I share with them what we do, who our instructors are, what our methodology is for teaching leadership communication. And it's a very information-based kind of pitch. And I find that the more I think about storytelling, the less inclined I am to actually say that prepared pitch in conversations with new clients. So when people say, what does the Humphrey Group do? Instead of saying, well, we have a methodology and you know, going down that informational route, I find myself now wanting to share specific examples. When someone says, what does the Humphrey Group do? I'm more inclined to say, well, let me give you an example of something I did yesterday. I was working, working with a coaching client who has to give presentations of very data-heavy, um, you know, complex information um, daily. And it's the same presentation she has to give to many different clients. And she's really stuck on how to make it inspirational. And we've been working for months on reducing the amount of data and uh, making her slides 
clearer and more message driven. And none of it has really helped. Uh, she still really feels like the presentations are rote uh, and that they're simply not interesting, let alone inspiring to her clients. And then just the other day, we had a breakthrough. She realized that no matter how great the slides were, if she didn't feel passionately connected to that material, it was never going to come across as interesting. And it turned out it wasn't actually a matter of the info on her slides at all. It was really a presence issue. And as soon as we started to move around and stand up and unlock her breathing and her voice, she got excited about the material again, and it completely changed the impact of her presentations. So that's the kind of work that we do at the Humphrey Group, and that's a reason why I find it so exciting and so rewarding. And when you tell a client a story like that, instead of saying, here's our methodology and here are some of our programs, they think differently about the potential of working with us. And, and they get a really a much more accurate understanding of what it is that we do. Well, and I think that story and what you're, what you're getting at, the power stories, you know, when I think about it, lies in that I would, they allow the audience to reach the conclusion themselves. You know, it, in this day and age, people do not want to be told or sold to mm. in communication. You know, the idea of the old command and control style in companies, but also in advertising, right? People have, people want to inst uh, reject that. And instead they want to say, help me reach the conclusion. So narratives allow, it's almost like pull influence, whereas mm -hmm. the message is like push. I'm going to tell you what to think. Mm -hmm. The story is a pull. It pulls you to reach that conclusion. And it is, uh, does so on a more emotional level. And I think your, your example showcases that. What I'm taking away from this discussion so far, and three points that I'm hearing for people who, wanna, who are listening who want to tell stories. First is that you have to figure out, as the planner did or as the risk professional, before you tell what story you're going to tell, you have to figure out what point you're trying to make. Because it sounds like the story is really a tool to serve that rather than just something bolted on or extraneous. Secondly, I'm hearing spontaneity in the moment requires structure in advance and that the story spine is a great way to structure your story. And third and finally, just this personal vulnerability and per, you know, open up and show a bit about yourself that those three ingredients sound like they're key to great storytelling. Would you add any others? I would add one more, which is the audience-centered piece. Mm -hmm. um, even if your story is personal, it aligns perfectly with your message and you follow the spine and it's got great structure, if it's not going to reach the hearts and minds of the people that you're talking to, it's not going to be effective. So if you add that fourth component to the other three, I think you've got a solid formula. Let's, let's wrap up here because what you've really showcased is the power of storytelling, why people are hungry for stories, and what they can do to actually start practicing it. Now, we've gone through a lot, so what I'd like you to do is sum up for me and for our listeners one thing that they should keep in mind as they begin to incorporate storytelling into their, their world. <laughs> and their if I had to put it into one sentence, it would be, you have all the stories that you need to tell inside you already. And it's a matter of giving yourself permission to let them out and using some simple tools to make sure that they come out in a way that's going to be impactful. And let's say we have someone who's ready to bring those stories out. 
What can they do this week to start telling stories? They should select one opportunity where they know that emotional engagement of their audience will be as important as the intellectual engagement of their audience. And they should prepare a story and a message and commit to telling it. Practice makes perfect. Start telling stories this week. Well, Margo, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing with our listeners why storytelling is so powerful and how, uh, how much work does go into preparing stories, but that enables you to be natural in the moment. So thank you. If people want to connect with you uh, to learn more about the work that we do to help leaders tell stories, or they want to learn about storytelling, our program Storytelling for Leaders, uh, where should they go? You can find me on Twitter at MMGooley. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn uh, or send me an email from our Humphrey Group website. Great. And I think they can also download our Storytelling for Leaders program on our website, can't they? They certainly can. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Margot Gooley. It's been a real treat to hear from someone who understands how to craft stories and how to build that skill in others. As I'm hoping you're taking away, storytelling is not a natural skill. It's something you have to work at. And good stories have structure, they have spine, and they have authenticity built into them. And that's what brings them to life for listeners and makes them inspiring. If you enjoyed this episode of the Inspire Podcast, please make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. We've been getting a lot of ratings. I really appreciate it. So take the time, uh, rate the podcast, review it. It helps others find it. And uh, stay connected with me on Twitter. I'm at THG underscore Bart. And I welcome your questions on leadership communication. If I get enough, I'll do a separate episode just on Q&A. Finally, you can learn more about what we do at the Humphrey Group, including how we teach storytelling at www.thehumphreygroup.com. Thanks for listening.